Oh yeah, SOJ baby. So um, I know you guys know that I like to talk about space and um, the final frontier and all things that um, have meaning. Uh, that's pretty much you know what gets me going and what gets me out of bed every morning is just the the great wonders of the world. And one of those things I've, I've touched on that I've tried to wrap my head around that is that is super hard that I've kind of brought. Uh, another mind, another uh, mind that is uh, equal to or probably greater than mine in this field especially. Uh, my buddy Cam is going to be talking about uh, some Big Bang shit. So now I know you kind of, I don't know if you listened to the, the podcast that I did about the Big Bang or I've talked about it a little bit. Like it's hard for me to understand where the two, like I guess two stars came into collision with each other and they hit each other and that's what started everything. But you're saying that's not exactly it. It's kind of like a, a black hole explosion that happens or something. I, I, can you can you elaborate a little bit on that for us? Yeah, man. Um, you know, there's there's multiple theories from what I know. Um, and one thing I like to make clear, like, you know, I can I can start sharing uh, things that I believe that I know or things that I believe I'm certain about. Um, but you know that's where I try and try and look at the facts. But uh, there's still you know there's a lot of theories, and the thing with theories is you know they get tested over time. So the Big Bang theory in and of itself, I mean, to what I know, it's not necessarily a single theory. It's uh, it's a theory that's evolved over time from you know multiple tangents, multiple ideas. Um, you know, so. I mean, I'm not sure exactly where you want to begin, but... Well, you know, if, it's, if, if it to... is the beginning of time, as we understand it, if this is the very... If this is like the start of what we know civilization, civilization to be, you know, like I've heard that, you know, everything that is carbon is just stardust. It's like a piece of a star that was exploded or whatever. And that's just... I don't know. I guess it's just hard for me to wrap my simple mind around it, you know? Um does would that be correct in saying that that was like the first moment that they can date back to like that was this that was the snap if you would because i i don't know i tend to believe in i, I was raised in bible school you know in in sunday school so they told me god said let there be light you know what i mean and i, I attribute that kind of to the big bang there i always try to draw a parallel between things you know it uh i remember this when i was a kid it kind of makes sense okay now here's the scientific reason for it there's always a logical explanation right even with uh you know vampires and giants and 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 the fairy tales that you know the cinema screens are feeding us i i tend to draw parallels between that and reality and one of the things i don't understand is <clears throat> how do you measure something like that like how do you measure light that is so far away how do you get a a number like however many years ago the big bang was like how do you even begin to calculate something like that <laughs> yeah i mean that's definitely you know what's cool about questions like that is you know those types of questions like we literally have you know children ask questions like that and you know most people like even even as you ask me that even even as i believe i can answer it it's like you know still for certain you know the, the only thing for certain you can really know is you know, you can't really know very many things for certain. You know, everything seems to be paired like a paradox to me. Um, but you know, 
what's cool is when you study things and then from different sources, completely unrelated, seemingly unrelated, and you hear you know similar things, it just reinforces the knowledge that you that you have going forward. And you know something cool about light is it does have a speed and it is measurable. And like I've heard some things recently where you know the instrumentation we're using nowadays that's that's new. You know the you know maybe in the last few years is giving scientists the ability to to measure it better and better and better and verify you know the speed that we've been told as children and you know going forward and so with the with the speed of light you know it's it's so simple and magnificent when you realize you know if you're looking at a star through a telescope the light, you know, it's, it's it's going a speed so that you can see it. You know, it takes time for it to go from where it's where it's located to your telescope. So, you know, through that distance it travels, you know, it, you can begin to measure that light. And you know, this gets into like astrophysics. I think they call it where you can literally analyze the color of, say, like a a certain type of supernova explosion. And you can know for certain that, to some degree, you know, I don't know, I don't know how 100% certainty would be, but these supernova explosions—they're all theoretically the the same uh, intent, intensity. So when scientists or astronomers, <laughs> astronomers see like a supernova explosion, you can literally calculate, uh, you know, its location because the the intensity of the light and how that light is distorted based on, you know, the intensity that you should see according to certain distances. And then, you know, they can use the speed of light. I mean, this is not like the best explanation, but to my knowledge, you know, the, it makes sense to me that, you know, you can calculate locations of supernova in various galaxies I'm kind of going, skipping and jumping on some tangents here, but uh, like, say, say for facts, back in uh, 1924, Edwin Hubble, a uh, famous scientist people probably know of, who Hubble discovered telescope. other galaxies. Yeah, he discovered other galaxies. And, you know, and so what people have done since then is they measure supernova explosions and they calculate how far away they are and how fast they're traveling and you know, and it, what they're learning is crazy stuff. It's so simple and just mind-boggling. You know, what they're seeing is is galaxies are literally traveling uh, away from each other. And, and so with this observation, you know, you can only reverse it in time. You know, if, if now, if what you witness is galaxies everywhere you see all traveling apart, you know, you reverse that through time, and you, what do you end up with? You end up with everything basically in the same location. So that's kind of where, like, the Big Bang Theory really, you know, where it's focused is is the basic understanding that or theory that everything began from one local point um, in space. Dude, so, what you just said really just opened – I was like – I was like, where is he going with this? I was like, how, what are you talking about? Everything's moving apart and then they can measure that. And then when you said that that's where the Big Bang comes from because if everything's moving apart, then it's kind of like uh, 
everything it's we've done this before it's been here before like if if this if our theory is correct it's kind of like a uh i guess the theory of infinity everything happening you know over the span of however many years or millions of years and then it happens again explosion boom it done with everything and then it kind of collects back in and does it again like it's almost like the theory of the matrix you know what i mean they design this thing and then you know it doesn't work the first time and it has a complete uh catastrophic ending so they do, they launch it again you know what i mean the second time it doesn't work and you know they notice these patterns and um the patterns that i'm noticing and well while you were explaining to that me to me and i was getting lost in what you were saying i was thinking well wouldn't the wouldn't the stars like the way we navigate stars wouldn't that show us that the opposite because they've been the same for so long like you know people you know, 200, 300, 400, 500 years ago, sailed by the stars. Like, we've used the stars for navigation for so long. You know, I, I know the um, the technology boom has been crazy. I heard a, I heard a, it wasn't a Snapple fact back then, but I heard a statistic or a quote that someone said, the age of technology has grown so much that we've learned more in the past 50 years um, as far as technology goes and, you know, being able to prove things and disprove things and, and be able to look further back and, and look uh, deeper into things as far as like microscopic levels and even as far as what you're saying out into space, like telescopic, um, being able to observe things from, from uh, you know, both ends, big and small, uh, near and far. Um, and it's just amazing that in these last 50 years, we've taken bigger leaps and bounds than ever before, than ever charted in history. And it makes you almost, it almost makes you want to conscribe to the, uh, uh, the Graham Hancock theory that he was on, uh, you know, JRE the other day talking about, you know, these civilizations might have started in the Americas and this might be something that was just overgrown and, and life as we know it might not have started on Africa. It might have started right here in the Americas and there's things that have, you know, been covered up and it's almost like a life cycle, you know, that maybe that catastrophic thing happened, wiped everyone out and then here we are again rebuilding from, from the ground up. Just because the oldest, you know, things that we can find here on Earth or the oldest, uh, data of civilization is only 6,000 years old, that doesn't mean that the earth is only 6,000 years old. If we're talking about, you know, what you're talking about, measuring light and being able to measure supernovas in other galaxies, that's got to prove to, you know, a, a finite lifespan of not only ourselves, but of the planet, of the, the rock that we're traveling on through space. And um, I think that it's it's weird like i never thought about things like that like I, I wouldn't have even thought to look to the stars if it wasn't for people like you or people like i remember you talking something about like oh it's just rocket science i'm like oh well <laughs> rocket science is extremely difficult but when you broke it down it's like you know nothing is difficult if you take the time to understand it if you take the time to actually look at it you know like you have a gift in in taken a, a s stupid person like me and um, being able to explain uh, something like that and almost have it make sense, you know, like, you know, like you said, we're basing off of theories. We don't know if this is for sure. We weren't there millions and millions of years ago, but uh, it's, it's just nuts to think about. For sure. For sure.
sure, man. Um, yeah, I think, I, you know, I think that, you know, I'm very humble about, like, what I believe I know and, and how smart or whatever I believe I am. I'm, you know, I, f- I truly feel like a lot of people uh, are just unjustly, you know, they go through life and, you know, the scholastic institutions that we go through, they don't teach us how to, you know, know about the solar system necessarily or the galaxy or the stars or the earth or the sun or whatever. And they don't even really teach us, you know, how to, to manage money and manage assets and, you know, what liabilities are and the difference between a liability and an asset and how to survive in the economy. And yeah, man, I mean, um, so not to say that anyone's, anyone's really dumb or too stupid to know these things or anything like that. I, I believe that, yeah, I mean, if, if you focus on anything long enough, you see how large you can get. Like, you know, Richard Feynman, he's pretty famous. I think he was like a, a really famous physicist or something. You know, one of the coolest things I've ever heard he, say. He sounds was, like a fine man. <laughs> he, he described like, you know, because being a physicist, a lot of guys, people, you know, they would approach him and say, okay, you know, very quickly tell me, teach me, you know, the theory of everything or the secrets of the universe. Mm. You know, it's like, how do you tell somebody everything all in one little, you know, simple phrase? And, you know, he, he just so he describes it. He's like, you know, it's it's easy, but it's like a scaffolding. You, you know, like if you ever see a, a building constructed, you know, they put all the scaffolding up on the outside so that they can, you know, put the the color coat or the clear coat or the stucco or the bricks or the windows in on the mm-hmm. building. And so mm-hmm. you have all this structure, this simple structure that's easy to disassemble and reassemble and build up. And it's, you know, you can build large structures with simple things. So like the knowledge, it's like you, you it's good to, to, you know, absorb certain, you know, very discernible uh, theories you could say, or I mean, facts, Facts are good because it's like, you know, facts, I guess, technically you could say are like little theories that you, you know, you try and prove them wrong. But in effect, that's what's good about theories is because as you try and prove them wrong, you can actually, it reinforces them because if you can't break them down and prove them wrong, it just makes them stronger. So over time, you know, once, once we learn things like we learn certain star explosions are always the same color and, and we learn that the light spectrum, you know, it's, it's, it's a spectrum that you can measure with high precision because it's, it's a large spectrum. You know, humans, we only see like a small sliver on the overall spectrum of, I mean, I guess technically even light itself is just a, a constituent of the spectrum of radio waves or, I mean, I'm not exactly sure. I think radio radio waves also are just a constituent of even just radiation in general and just this, the spectrum of radioactivity in the universe. So, so a star explosion, you know, it, it's like a way of gauging, uh, you know, the, uh, a unit or a location on this, on the visible light spectrum scale. And with that, you know, they're doing crazy things to literally calculate the distances between galaxies and where, you know, where stars are located and how fast they're moving. Are they moving towards us or away from us or sideways or on a diagonal or whatever, you know? Um, and we do that because, the, uh, you know, a good example 
of how that's done is the Doppler effect, which, uh, you know, refers to sound waves. So like when you're, when you're on the side of a road, this is a pretty common explanation and you're just standing there, you know, cars go by, you can hear how, you know, like the sound of the frequency of the, the sound waves that are approaching you as the vehicles approaching you there, the waves are compressed. So the, the pitch of the noise coming from like sounds further away it sounds further away until it builds up and then it gets closer and it's yeah exactly so like so what astrophysicists do is they they use the same type of uh technique but with with the light spectrum instead of the you know the like the radio wave spectrum or whatnot and so you can you know if if stars are like red shifted where the color is is closer to the to the red light of the spectrum rather than like the the blue light, I believe it is. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but just understand that the or the light changes depending on how it's moving uh, relative to you know us here on Earth when we're looking through a telescope or you know maybe we're looking through you know the Hubble telescope orbiting the Earth or something, but from a you know through relativity of position of of the observation you can determine whether you know a galaxy or a star is moving towards you or away from you and what speed and you know based on analyzing these supernova explosions so uh, man i went on a tangent there but um you know that that's an interesting way like you can prove a theory if if your theory is, you know, based on a big bang. And so when you, when you look out at the universe and you see, you know, 500 billion galaxies and all of them are a uh, red shifter or blue shifter or whatever. Can't remember. Like, I, but like you said they're all the same. Which... They're all the same color. They're all the same size when it's, when a supernova explodes. And to my, correct me if I'm wrong. A supernova is when a, a sun dies, right? A star dies. Is that correct? <sighs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's you in, know, in it's a simple in a simple term, in a layman's term. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, from from what I understand, you know, uh, I mean, uh, we should probably back up and kind of begin at the beginning again, which is, <laughs> you know, when all when all matter and all energy and all space and everything was all infinite, you know, at an infinitesimally small point, you know, before space, you could say even existed, or before space expanded. Uh, you have all this energy, essentially. Um, and so, forget what, you, what you're someone, saying. Someone once, someone once said that at one point, all of the matter in the universe would fit into like a teaspoon or something like that. It would it'd be all that small. And that's why the concentrated energy was so great. But no, what, what I was saying was the supernova. What is a supernova? And then you right. said, let's, okay. let's back it up. Right. So, yeah, I mean, so it really it boils down to gravity and mass. And so, you know, uh, in the let's just say you have a large amount of space and and matter just floating around, you know, like um, let me just I guess I'll just back up and do like a quick review, which is basically, you know, a theory or permutation of the Big Bang Theory is you know, fundamentally based on the expansion of energy, essentially, and, and, 
you know, and so ultimately the energy, if we just skip ahead, becomes matter. And so throughout space, you can, if you just imagine a violent expansion, you know, a lot of possible misunderstandings of the Big Bang is like it's an explosion. And really, I mean, that you could you could say that's true, but it's it's mostly about the expansion the expansion of space itself, and that you know how how fast it was and how big it got, and of course the matter you know that's that's within it and the energy that that basically created it, you know. So you you can envision just to envision. Let's say, let me look at my notes here for a second. So like now, what what I, what you're saying to me in my mind, I'm thinking of kind of like. Kind of like a bag of popcorn, right? It's real small. It's real skinny. It's like, you know, the size of a wallet when you put it in there. Um, you fold the flaps out or whatever, but it's, it's very, very flat. And then if you, you know, add that energy, you take that heat. So let's just say, let's just say you took a kernel, a, just one kernel, and then it popped into the size of an actual full bag. So that's kind of what you're saying happened. It, there was all that energy that was condensed into that one little kernel. And then when whenever we added whatever it was, the, the mass or the gravity or whatever it was, something made that thing expand and it blow up into yeah. this into this huge, let's just say the size of the microwave, you know what I mean? Which was what we know it as the universe. Would that be, is that like a safe analogy? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely get into that too, you know, as well. Um, a good, like one of the common analogies I've, I've heard is very similar, but they they use like a loaf of bread and say like say you're making like raisin bread or something, you know, and yeah. it's in there in the oven and and when when you're cooking it, it it expands and like the raisins, you know, as as the bread forms and and the matter expands when it's cooking, you know, the raisins are like an example of galaxies that formed, you know, and like the rising loaf of bread is like the universe and. And the galaxies moving apart from each other is kind of like similar, uh, like an analogy for yeah. for the way galaxies are as we observe them. So, so when scientists are looking at these these, uh, they're like called like one A supernova or something like that. Uh -huh. It's a specific it's a specific type of explosion that's based on like a specific quantity of mass. It's like when when you have enough matter. You know, like our sun that we have, they call it kind of like a, it's like a common, I don't know, I don't want to mislabel it, but our star, um, you know, I don't want to, oh, I mean, we're not, we're not experts there, here. I, I know what you're saying. It, it's a, it's, it's like a dwarf star or something like that, right? It's like, it's, it's a class of, it's a certain class of star. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's not that it's not unique it's just that there's kind of a lot of them that are similar to like how ours is because because mm -hmm. our star it's not like a huge one you know and what they say is you know the bigger the star usually the shorter the lifespan because there's more mass mm. and there's so there's more there's more volatility and the thing basically consumes its own fuel faster than like a small star like our like our sun so our sun, you know, it'll last a long period of time because it's, you know, it's like conservative with its fuels, you know, because there's just not enough gravity that's catalyzing the fusion and like, you know, burning everything up much more rapidly. So, um, so, so like supernova, I mean, I guess I can't say that, 
I know enough to, to explain like how many different types there might be, but what I know is, is they use a certain type that is kind of like a, a unit of measure where every time they see this specific type, it's always like the same intensity, the same color. So with that understanding, you can see like the, if, if you're lucky enough to see an explosion, cause there again, man, you know, imagine how long it would take you. Like if you're, you know, an aspiring, uh, astrologist or whatnot, and you wanted to study the stars, you know, for you to, for you to witness and record a, a supernova explosion, uh, you know, it would take a lot of effort and time and patience, <laughs> but you know, these specific kind they can use as a unit of measure to, to determine, you know, the distance and the speed. Uh, well, they don't, they don't have one recorded. Like you're saying to witness one of it, of like, of your own to witness like one in the moment you're saying would be extremely hard. But obviously if we've studied them, if we've, if we've done it before, we've probably recorded it and you can probably watch at least one or two of them, you know, it somewhere documented somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I would say in the last 10 years, they've probably seen more okay. uh, supernova explosions just because from how they've learned and the instrumentation they've built and yeah. the technology they're using now, like they're using uh, technology to see, like they're monitoring large quantities of, 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 you know, of the universe basically with their equipment and, you know, the, there's more and more people doing it. And, and so what you're, what you're seeing is like overall humanity in, in and of itself. Like we're all like, if you go and research the data, I'm sure you will see lots and lots and lots and lots of examples. Uh, and probably, you know, more so going forward, like we're just getting better as, as scientists, you know, and even just common sense itself is growing over time. So, you know, I'm sure if you look into it, you'll learn, you know, unfortunately I don't think I have any notes but there was a point in time I think within the last 15 or 20 years where we went from not seeing a single having a single example to having probably hundreds by this point and and so it's become a a way to continue reinforcing our uh, you know it's like you take that understanding and you actually make other discoveries you know so so like Edwin Hubble, he, you know, he looked at galaxies and he, he noticed how overall, like certain, like most, like a majority, I believe that were just seemingly red shifted. I think, I think they're red shifted when they're traveling away from us. Okay. But I could be wrong. It's probably blue, but depending on like the way visible light looks to us, uh, with the way, when the waves, like if two galaxies, like, let's just say you're observing a particular galaxy from earth, you know, from the Milky Way galaxy, you're looking at like, let's say the, the Andromeda galaxy, which is, I think it's in our galactic neighborhood or whatnot. And so like, if you look at that galaxy from earth, um, <laughs> maybe that was a bad example. Cause I think that one happens to be coming towards us. But I believe if you look at that galaxy, you will see like a majority of the light coming from it as a like slightly blue shifted, I think, but it really depends, man. Like the spectrum that we, that we observe, you know, galaxies and stuff with, like we look through radio wave telescopes, infrared telescopes, like, you know, different, the spectrum 
you know, we only see the visible light spectrum, but with telescopes, you know, they're doing such, you know, above and beyond things that, you know, even our own naked eye can see. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, you, honestly, there's a lot of manipulation to certain images, like say the, the Hubble telescope takes because it can see more than our eyes can see. So like, you know, they're, they're picking up on a lot more detail and usually what they do is they superimpose like various filters over over on top of each other and, and the colors and the images you see are usually you know they, they look amazing but it's usually kind of like you could say a false representation of how it actually looks but um so supernova explosions i think based on a specific mass, you know, a star can die where, you know, you, basically what happens is the gravity takes over and there's not enough energy to counteract the pull of the gravity. So basically as the star dies and it burns up all of its fuel, gravity wins and the mass basically implodes. And then through the implosion, you know, the star basically fluctuates in, in size a little bit and then it eventually just explodes and sheds off you know a certain kind of arbitrary quantity of material and that's when you can end up with like you know stars die in a lot of ways i'm sure you can end up with you know like a, a brown dwarf or you know there's a there's a lot of different uh now what happens what happens know, to but, the planets when the sun when the sun dies like do they keep rotation do they lose rotation like does, is that the end of that particular solar system you know or or wait no so it's yeah. galaxies solar system is bigger than galaxy right uh solar system i believe is like when you have uh like say you have a sun or you could even have multiple suns either technically they'd be like orbiting each other or like let's say you have a solar system like ours which is basically the one the sun, nine the planets. nine planets. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you include like, Pluto. Yeah. So like in, uh, in astronomy or astrology, I, I don't know. I'm mixing up the names, but you know, in the study of space or stars, um, uh, what was I about to say? <laughs> uh, um, universe versus uh, solar masses. Yeah. Solar. So solar masses, they use the term solar masses for like quantifying the size of a sun. Okay. I, th I think it's based on like our star. So like our sun is like one solar mass or something like that. So a solar so system we, is smaller than a galaxy. Yeah. So like, so like solar masses is how they describe like the size of suns. And then like one solar system you could say is basically like a solar system, I guess in my opinion, or what I believe would be is just like if you have a star with with large bodies orbiting it, you know, that, that are large enough to be considered planets, I guess you could say. Um, so maybe just like a local retinue of objects, you know, nearest a star or something like that would be like a solar system. And then, so like in, in our galaxy that we're in, the Milky Way, you know, you might have, you know, hundreds of billions of stars and each one could technically in theory be a solar system. But 
Um, you know, there's scientists out there who are researching uh, planets that are like Earth that are possibly or you know potentially habitable. And so there's there's a lot of people that are that are hunting for potential you know like other Earths that we could travel to and live on someday. You know, and uh, so they do a lot of study on that. And they look at different solar systems and they try and find other planets that, you know, like say if our planet was under threat and, you know, we needed to get a new one, <laughs> you know, they, they study that. So, um, it's just a cool way for scientists, you know, they observe stars and they just study the local orbiting objects. And then they look at, you know, the, through the visible light spectrum, they can tell, or probably even, I mean, I'm, I don't want to mean to just say just the visible light spectrum, but the whole spectrum, they can analyze the material certain planets are made out of and whether or not there's oxygen and whether or not we can, like there's an atmosphere and we can live there and breathe, you know, with an atmosphere that's similar to the one that we have here on Earth. Um, but, I mean, I could go on some a lot of tangents well, there. Now, well, so it just... Just to kind of bring it back to where we were at in the beginning, so it's safe to say that you believe the Big Bang happened, right? Is that is that in your belief? Because, like, I don't know, like I said, I, I grew up in Sunday school, so I, I don't know, it's easier for me to think that there is a God, and God was like, hey, let there be light, and then boom, the sun yeah. struck, you know, str- it was like striking a match, you know what I mean? Now, yeah. I could also draw a parallel where, you know, if, if my God does that, he does that to the whole universe. You know what I mean? Like, he, the, the light that he turns on isn't just our sun. It's all the suns. You know, it's all the stars. But uh, yeah. what do you think about that? Like, I mean, growing up, I know you grew up um, at least, you know, I know my parents were religious. Your parents were probably somewhat religious. I mean, did... did when when you started looking towards the star and started realizing that you know through this uh, latest and greatest uh, scientific instrumentation and all the things that we can achieve by looking up and all the things that we are able to um, comprehend by these different light spectrums and and observing these different things you know millions and millions of light years away um, how does did that did that conflict with your your personal beliefs and how did you deal with that? Oh man, well that's a, I mean that's definitely an interesting story I can share. Um, well, I'll try and summarize. Basically, um, probably up until I was about like age six, I was kind of raised around Christianity and and Catholicism. I believe uh, one of my my mother's sisters was Catholic, and like you know there'd be days where I'd hang out with my cousins and we would be, you know, we'd go to the Catholic school, you know, or the, you know, they'd do their thing, their gatherings and stuff. And I also witnessed a lot more of uh, Christianity. Um, but, you know, my parents, like, it's, it's a very interesting story because my parents, they met like at a church, you know, and, you know, in in the church parking lot, you know, just on, on a regular Sunday school, you know, that's kind of like how they met. Yeah. But, What's interesting is like the way they raised, you know, me and my brother is basically kind of in a neutral fashion where they didn't really impose any particular way or another, like secular or religious. Like it was mostly a neutral environment that I remember. Um, I think 
when I was age six, we kind of moved away from most of our our family because of Desert Storm, and you know, my parents were trying to build houses, and you know, we were living in California, <laughs> yeah, and no one in California wants to buy houses when it's like we're at war, and so. Yep. So my family, man, we struggled. So like my parents, my brother, we we moved to Arizona when I was age six, and you know, and like from that point forward till till I was like, you know, in my late twenties, I really didn't have a tremendous influence of of religion per se. Um, but you know, one of my grandmothers definitely, you know, she was very Christian, and she would have a pretty decent influence on me and um but it's it was mostly i just remember mostly a neutral uh, like a neutral pressure so I, I believe that by the time you know i was like 20 like 27 years old you know i'm 35 now turned 35 in may um i just remember being able to just more freedom to really choose like what to believe in and what to focus my attention on and but so i'm not like i'm not in any way like um so you didn't have you didn't have a faith you didn't have a faith that got in your way really yeah i mean i guess i always kind of felt christian or just in the beginning of my life and then i kind of like retouched on it later uh when a friend of mine kind of asked me to look into it um but even now like like i don't consider myself to be biased really one way or another you know i'm at the i believe that that there's more of a symbiosis between religion and science than an actual dichotomy that i think a lot of people it's like one of those things that no one really mentions but it just seems like a lot of people believe there's a dichotomy between science and religion where they're two different things but for me you know the more i investigated it it's like, okay, so, you know, I could have a lot of fun talking to people about this because, like, I wouldn't necessarily argue with them one way or another, but I would say, look, like, okay, so if you take a secular approach and you're just, let's just say you use only science to to gauge your perspective on the universe, okay, so, so with science, you have all these instrumentations and the abilities to measure things and and you can quantify things and put things in, in a box or in a certain shade or, you know, and label it. But, you know, without spirit or without um, spirituality or some form of, uh, I don't know, like, let's just say God, um, which, by the way, you know, it's like I, I always feel like I'm learning what that means, you know, no, no matter how much I learn or how old I am. I, you know, it's like, what is God? But I believe that without any of that, it's like, what's the point in science? What is the point in measuring anything? You know? Yeah. So I just feel like spirituality gives us, you know, it's like, it would be lame, you know, to kind of quote Albert Einstein, without religion, science is lame. It's pointless. It's like boring. It's like, what's the point, right? But you know, some people would argue, well, no, it's amazing. It's magnificent. There's, you know, look at these stars and look at how many galaxies there are. I believe there it's, it's kind of a symbiosis where maybe they're not admitting that they believe in some form of energy or spirit. And it's like, you know, I think that a lot of what's happening is people are kind of in denial 
where, you know, when you hear scientists start talking about dark energy and dark matter and string theory and, you know, atoms and subatomic particles and gravity and, you know, strong nuclear force and weak nuclear force, like electrical magnetism, you know, it's like, it's like you're describing the kind of the, the yin or the yang to what, what religion says it's like okay with religion you know you have the godhead you have the trinity the holy trinity you have the holy spirit you have god you have jesus christ who's you know he's atoned for our sins past present and future for all eternity and you have the priesthood and you have you know these energies holding the universe together and it's like well that sounds a lot like dark energy and dark matter like you know so where i see I see a symbiosis between the two. Um, you know, I try and kind of keep them together because it's it's weird. It's like if you try and prove, oh, you know, religion's all wrong, and then you come at me with some dark energy bullshit, like <laughs> I'm gonna check you. I'm gonna be well. Like, okay. it, well, you're drawing you're drawing a parallel between the two. You're saying that you know if if love is the answer and love is the key then dark energy might just be love. Like if God is love, it could be just be being defined as something else. You know, we always thought it as an intangible, but um, I mean, dark energy to my understanding is, it is pretty, you can't see it. Um, I, I, it's like another thing that I just, I can, I can barely wrap my mind around dark energy. Like even listening to yeah. some, like some of the greatest minds, like I've heard Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about it and uh you know how it's in everything and it's it's around everything it has to do with gravity and everything it's like um okay then how come i'm just learning about it now like that's like oxygen it's like i know what oxygen is because they taught me what oxygen is a long time ago but this goes a lot smaller this gets way more microscopic you know when when it comes to and i don't blame it on my my scholastic career but when it comes to, you know, the solar system and things like that, I, I tend to be terribly myopic um, in my views where I just, I don't know even where to begin. Like, I can ask those childish questions, you know, but it really stems from, you know, maybe my love of Halo, you know, and, and my love of, of games. Like, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't have even met you if it wasn't for Halo, you know what I mean? So... Yeah. Um, and that in itself, like that sparked a whole new interest, not, o- not only in, in, you know, warfare and being able to weaponize technology, but, um, being able to, you know, I, I started reading the books and I, I started realizing that there are other worlds out there and kind of like string theory or kind of like, you know, um, the, the multiverse or however you want to think of it is that, um, it, in in my own small mind, in my own small way, like that was a whole new paradigm for me, you know. Um, I'm I'm recording. Give me a second. Um, so I just uh, <clears throat> it's it's something that I was able to sink my teeth into, you know, kind of like you know either science for you or or books for you or um, you know, Halo was something that. You know, it was an outlet. It started as just a video game, just an obsession. You know, someone beat me real yeah. bad in uh, in Halo one night when we were doing like a LAN party. We had a couple TVs hooked up, but that sparked an interest in me that that took hold for years, like 
longer than my kids have been alive. I've got two teenagers, you know, and um, I've been playing Halo longer than they've been alive. I've read, you know, 90% of the books that are out. So um, it's yeah. just, uh, it's something that I really want to wrap my head around. And it, it helps me understand some of these bigger theories too, because they talk about, you know, space travel and, and the need for other planets and, and the reason why we're doing what we're doing now, you know, and with, with Trump talking about Space Force and, um, you know, Elon Musk starting <laughs> SpaceX and shit and us landing rockets yeah. successfully on other planets, like it's all starting to come to fruition, you know, and the other the other parallel i draw is, is like you know my whole life not even my whole life and i was kind of like you i did I, my parents never really forced me into anything as far as religion goes but when we were young i also um you know i was born in connecticut but i grew up in california as well southern california i went to a southern baptist church and uh it wasn't like they they preached fire and brimstone but from what i can remember you know, a lot of it was, it was fear mongering and it was scare tactics. Like, don't do this or you're going to go to hell. Don't do this or you're going to, you know, don't take the mark of the beast. But then when I think about it, it's like, you know, um, I've had, I've had psychedelic experiences where it's like, you know, you realize things and you, you remember things from a kid and things totally change and you start looking at things from a completely different perspective. And it's like, now that I've been playing Halo so long, it's like, I think it would be cool to jump in some armor like that, but I would have to be yeah. surgically altered. I would have to take the chip. I'd have to take the mark of the beast. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, it's scary. It's like, where, where do we draw the line between, you know, this entertainment world and this, and this fantasy stuff and, and where we're really going with science and how far we're looking out into space and what we're exploring and what we're really seeing. It's, it's hard for someone like me. I can only imagine for someone like you who actually understands most of this stuff to to wrap your mind around, you know, um, I don't know. The more I think about it, Skynet is really some bullshit because if 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 I'm learning if I'm learning how much that I don't know just by absorbing so much, you know, in my thirties my brain just really opened up. And just started, I was like I was a two-year-old again, you know, I just started asking questions and soaking things in and really paying attention because I, I had a vested interest in learning. Again, it was like in my 20s, I just I just wanted to get high and, you know, uh, play with girls' boobs, you know. But now that, um, you know, I procreated and I have a bigger purpose and, and there's different there's different outlooks. I mean, even though I play Halo less, it's still in the back of my mind. When I, when I wasn't playing Halo, I was reading the books. And when you read the books about, you know, star travel and, and different, you know, conflicts of different worlds and they still tend to wrap in, you know, political things with it. It's like, you know, how far do we go? One of the things that uh, that you have scared me about successfully is the uh, is the whole geoengineering and these people playing with the atmosphere to, you know, make it rain here and, you know, make it dry there. And it's and it's scary when you when you talk about at the beginning of this our conversation, you know, um, you know, uh, planets dying and suns dying and us using up the resources like that is something that could really happen. That's not just a sci fi book. That's like that's an actual, um, you know, it could become a reality. That's that's a scenario that possibly could play out. Maybe not in our lifetime. We could get lucky, but it very well could happen. What if? What if, uh, you know, over there at Chernobyl, you know, what if they had nine or ten of them all over the world? 
and they couldn't stop it? What if it wasn't next to the ocean to drown it out? You know, like what if what if uh, you know we do something um, so reprehensible and so uh, uh, damaging that it's it's uh, you can't you can't nullify it, you can't turn it off. Um, we're gonna be in a whole bunch of shit, you know. And it, it goes back to you know whatever that movie was. They're they're talking about you know building arcs and building ships and shit. Like it might be, you know, this world might flood again. You know, they're, they're the, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's tough to think about all of that, you know, and it's like, where do we, where do we draw the line? Like, we do want to study and we do want to learn more about, you know, this great technology and we want to go further with things, but, you know, how much do we allow the, the government to, to play with our resources and, and do things that are so, I mean, I guess, what's the old saying? Nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? But uh you're gonna lose a lot of life in the process and if you do something to to you know scar this earth um that we live on we're gonna have a big problem yeah man you touched on like dozens of things i should have been like writing all of them down but i mean everything is entangled everything is connected it seems like everything you know and everything's relative so man like I could go off a lot of different directions with that, but uh, Halo for me, for sure, like I remember being like 20 or 21 or 23 or 24 years old, that whole time period was just like, for me, it was just all about college and playing Halo, man. And Halo, you know, at that point, like I had learned a lot of generally pretty much kind of a broad view of everything. You know, I read Stephen Hawking books, I read Michio Kiku books, kind of not pronouncing his name right but you know, i've read a lot of books on string theory and schrodinger's cat and particle physics and and just the universe in general like brief histories of time you know by stephen hawking and just so many things from you know i don't always remember all the authors and the books or even titles and things that i read but like i just try and absorb information and I just, I love when it comes from different sources because it, it strengthens everything, you know? It's like when, especially like in mathematics, I studied a little bit more like in my late 20s. When you learn, like, even just through mathematics, there's like these formulas that are just seemingly completely unrelated, but they they can end up having like a really mind-blowing uh, similarity. Like if you study Pascal's triangle or you study the, the three, six, nine. Yeah. 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 yeah or the, like the golden ratio, like you, you can do so many crazy things. I can't even like remember Fibonacci. That's up, uh that's the face, right? Like, uh, the, the equal having your, 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 you have a certain symmetry in your body or something like that. Or your, um, your lips are yeah, it, in proportion to your uh, eyes and your eyes are in proportion to your nose that's that yeah. way when, when someone really gets into uh, plastic surgery you can tell because uh it's it's thrown off of its natural sequence i think i think that's what it was yeah i mean it seems like the fibonacci uh sequence and like the golden ratio are very similar uh the golden ratio i mean i don't, I don't know it well enough to easily explain it but to kind of quote einstein a little bit in my own words but uh you know I believe that through time we've evolved to appreciate or be attracted to things that follow certain ratios. So like the golden ratio, it's like definitely 
when you look at a person or even an animal or uh, any life form, it's like you can see proportions and see ratios like in their in their colors or in their features, and you know we're we're attracted to like a certain ratio, and it's it's kind of been proven or shown that the golden ratio, it's like a certain number based on a certain uh, geometrical relationship of ratios that just looks attractive to us. And it's mostly just kind of like how things evolved over time. You know, it seems to be that the golden ratio has survived uh, in a lot of different things, a lot of different, you know, that leads into fractal geometry and, you know, like, the geometry of a fern or the geometry of a seashell or the geometry of a cauliflower or, you know, like fractals is a mind-blowing thing that it's like a whole nother tangent, dude. Like you can go off on that, you know, and talk about how fractals are just everywhere. Yeah. You know, in, in everything. If you look at blood vessels, you know, those are fractals, geometry. If you look at galaxies, the way galaxies are formed and shaped, it's you know, there's a lot of fractal geometry you can see in clouds, you can see in molecules and snowflakes and like, dude, so kind of went off on a tangent there. But with Halo for me, like in my early 20s, um, it was just one of the best game games ever, period. Like, I don't care who you are. So I had this loyalty for Halo, like the original story, because the story itself was just I don't know what it is about it, but like the whole halo ring, like the way the rings are engineered and they follow, you know, like certain laws of, of gravity, you know, they kind of make sense. Like you could probably build one, you know, and have a planet in the shape of a ring and it can have gravity and, you know, like a, a biosphere and you can probably grow plants and vegetables and have animals and have people there. And you could probably be, you know, it could be like a spaceship traveling through space, you know? And so, the whole story, dude, I just ate it up. I loved it. And it's the only reason I bought an Xbox. And it's like just one of those things that kept me, you know, when I had anxiety throughout the day, it's like, you know, I just wind down, enjoy some Halo. <laughs> I remember when Halo 2 came out. And, you know, that game was just amazing. But from there forward, I mean, games to me. I'm kind of disappointed because I believe that games could be a lot better. Um, I believe technology itself could be a lot better. You know, I could go on about, you know, I believe energy should be basically free by now. In the in the 60s, dude, our government proved that the thorium element, if you look on the periodic table of elements and you look at thorium, thorium is an element that is slightly radioactive. It's I don't really have any notes on it, but thorium, if you had like thorium, like like pure thorium, let's say the size of a, I don't know, a walnut or something, you could literally hold it in your hand for your whole life and it won't really hurt you. You know, that it, the radioactivity of thorium is, is very, very small uh, relative to, you know, many things that we deal with on a daily basis. But what the, the government proved that in uh, what was this at Oak Ridge Laboratory, like in where is it, Oklahoma or something like that? I forget the details, but there was a reactor they built in the 60s. This is during Richard Nixon's presidency, 
you know, at the beginning of like, I don't know what war it was, but basically I think right before we bombed or I don't know, we guess we were building all kinds of bombs by then. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it was it, slightly the, after World War Two. Yeah. So like the biggest reason that the technology never proliferated is because Richard Nixon basically shit canned the whole thing. And, you know, they literally had this uh, reactor that was proving that thorium material could solve all of our energy problems forever. And they pretty much swept it under the rug and it almost kind of like went, you know, extinct per se, for lack of a better term. But what ended up happening is I think NASA, they, they had a lot of the documentation on the experiment and there was a guy who found it and read it. And he realized he was like one of only like maybe 50 people or less that really even knew about it. And one cool thing that he did is he just copied all of the information and duplicated it, gave it, gave it to people. Um, he started a website, I think it's called Vlibe Energy. I don't know if I should be like spitting out a actual like URLs and stuff, but. I mean, you can. It doesn't matter if it's gonna if it's gonna lead people to the link of what you're talking about. That's fine. I don't know if anyone will go to it, but uh, um, so I don't know, man. It's kind of a tangent, but I just think that you know, by now, you know, we should be further along. Like you were saying earlier, I mean, I, I agree that we're pretty far. You know, we've come a long ways. We've yeah. learned a lot. You know, as far as civil civilization goes, you know, we have cool smartphones in our pockets and you know cool computers and video games kind of but i just believe that you know things could be a lot better and as far as like the whole like you were saying earlier um there is kind of like a doom and gloom about uh what is it it's uh like, you know, like the double-edged sword of technology, it's like yeah. you have a good and a bad side. Yeah, yep. So, so like with nuclear energy, it's like, what are we doing with it mostly? What we're mostly doing is we're building bombs, you know, and it's kind of crazy. You know, nuclear warheads and, and what we're doing with, with nuclear technologies, we're, you know, with the nuclear reactors that we're building, like you were saying earlier about Chernobyl, and by the way, like I'd like to mention Fukushima, and like, you know, there's a lot of catastrophes that have occurred that are contaminating our environment and the technology that's being used is technology that generates plutonium or like nuclear permutations of nuclear material for the purpose of building bombs and it's kind of stupid and it's one of the biggest reasons that thorium never really proliferated is because thorium consumes all of the energy and it's 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 not as volatile and dangerous as you know, done correctly as uh, the the fashions by which we do it now. We're using, you know, the reactors, nuclear reactors we build these days is basically high pressure, high temperature, and they freaking explode. And so, like what happened to Fukushima, a lot of people think the explosion was a nuclear explosion, but it was actually the steam pressure of the the water transforming from a liquid into a gas inside of a pressure vessel. And the thing exploded, you know, and now it's just like leaking into the ocean and shit for the last nine years or whatever it's been. Yeah. And they're saying it just keeps getting worse, you know, and uh, it's like no one talks about it. But 
it's like there's no reason that we should be building reactors like that in the first place. With thorium reactors, you can have low temperature, low pressure. Or maybe it's, I mean, the temperatures are high. I mean, everything's relative, but you don't have uh, high pressure liquid water coolant systems. Instead, the, the fuel itself is the liquid and it's flowing and it's not under high pressure. And so, I mean, there's a lot of tangents there. I don't but it just, know what exactly it just doesn't of... yield as much? Is that is that why they're, we're building the more volatile ones? Because there's a higher yield and, you know. Right. Like, you don't, you end up burning everything. You don't have waste left over, basically. So that's the other thing is, is the, you know, like the, the general understanding of reactor design that we've been doing for freaking decades is basically, you know, you have like a, a carbon core tube with like, you know, the, the uranium or plutonium or whatever it is, the high radioactive shit that's crammed inside of this tube. And they basically put it inside of a liquid chamber of liquid waters. What I mean by the liquid for cooling purposes. And then it's under high pressure. So, that, you know, the whole point in the pressure is to keep the water from boiling. Yeah. Because water, water will boil under, you know, like at uh, sea level, it's like under you know, a shit. certain unit of atmospheric pressure and it boils. But if you put it under high pressure, you can cool things that, that are extremely high temperature and keep the, the water from vaporizing. But it's just, it's a stupid balance between whether it explodes or not. And, yeah. and you, what ends up happening is they're only burning like one or two or three percent of the fuel and then that's all they can do and they take those rods and they take them out and they replace them and they put the old ones in storage for like hundreds or thousands of years because there's nothing else they can do with it and this shit's dangerous so <sighs> thorium reactor technology solves that problem and there's no high pressure and you burn all the fuel you don't have bullshit waste left over and and so it's just frustrating because the biggest reason it didn't proliferate is because of warfare. You know, mm, the, mm. the freaking doom and gloom side of trying to evolve from a type zero civilization to a type one civilization. Yeah. You know, that, that transition is one of the most dangerous because it basically has to do with the knowledge, obtaining the knowledge of uranium or obtaining the knowledge of radioactive you know, radioactive elements. And isn't that weird that most of what we've talked about, probably 90% of what we've talked about, all happened within either our lifetime or our parents' lifetime? Yeah. Like, that's, um, <laughs> yeah, man. that's nuts. I've been, uh, I've been looking a lot at like the last hundred or, or you know, uh, hundred or so years from like 1913, even back to like 1829, Till, up until this point like all the things that have gone down have pretty much been an exponential like increase in dude I don't know what you want to call it just activity you know the, the production of information I read this book one time I have an image of it um, I could tell you later but this awesome book it talked about the purpose of life uh, the guy in this book he was explaining how you know the universe was born let's just say through the big bang or the expansion of from nothing into infinity you know and on and on and uh, and it's like
like, okay, so so how long has it been? You know, some people believe it's been a few thousand years, 3,000 or 6,000 or something. Um, but, you know, if you do carbon dating or you learn about carbon dating, like I don't know for certain that the whole theory behind carbon dating is accurate, but I believe that scientists are able to quantify how old shit is by analyzing the isotopes of the elements of carbon or whatever the fuck they do with, you know, measuring carbon atoms in certain objects or rocks or whatever to, to figure out how old the earth is, you know, they come up with a specific number and it's like, you know, the earth itself, um, it's like what, three or four billion years old or something like that. I can't remember. Depends on who you ask. You know, it's, maybe I'm off by a few million or billion, but it's, it's, it's unfathomable either way to me. It's like, you know, I might live a hundred years, but I doubt it, but let alone a thousand or 10,000 or a million. Yeah. So, you know, shit's really old. And so this book was pretty crazy. I think I first read it in my mid twenties or something like that. And it basically talks about how like the struggle to survive, you know, for life, for life to exist, you basically, what we have is like 90% or 97% or pretty much most of the, of the entities that were ever alive. They're, they're dead. They're not alive. So, you know, you look at the life now that is existing, it's maybe, you know, a few percent that has ever existed because everything, you know, we just die quickly, kind of, you know, we're like a little spark. And um, so it talks about the struggle of life throughout the, the life of the universe. And it basically begins, the first sentence in this book literally just says, civilization is doomed. And it talks about the whole struggle like we can survive all the way to the end of the universe to the moment when the universe is about to die whether it's through expansion and everything loses energy and everything goes to what is the the term for it there's a name for uh, absolute zero yeah so at absolute zero molecules don't even vibrate and so everything is just dead at that point and so if the universe expands forever it eventually the energy will spread out to the point where it spreads so thin that just, you know, all those stars die and everything basically, you know, the lights out, let there be light. You know, the opposite is just like, okay, lights are out now, you know, everything freezes and dies and stops moving. And so we either, you know, the universe either dies in an enormous expansion or there's another theory where, at some point, the expansion will slow down and stop and then reverse. And then, you know, you could call like that maybe halfway and then the universe eventually will reverse expanding and start contracting and eventually crunch in onto itself, kind of like a star imploding, you know, creating a supernova. And, and there's theories about that having happened multiple times already throughout history and it just keeps exploding and then contracting imploding and exploding and so there's you know there's a lot of theories about the big bang and and the cycles but this book it basically talks about surviving 
the death of the universe. So how do you escape the universe at that moment when, you know, like, say you're you're the type three civilization that survived billions or hundreds of billions of years at the point where you're you made it all the way and all the trials and tribulations and blood, sweat and tears and war and chaos and you get to that point where okay you have to escape your universe and find a new one that's not about to die and expand or contract and explode so you gotta develop like wormhole technology or light travel or be able to you know go from jump from one universe to another in order to survive so the book basically kind of just reflects on how difficult that struggle can be you know so halo for me dude it's well entangled within like you know it's like one of the best science fiction kind of simple stories to me because it's very it's just to me it seems so fathom it seems so it's fathomable and it's also conceivable you know if we can figure out how to you know stop having like career politicians and all this political drama bullshit on a daily basis where we have to fucking hear what Donald Trump is going through because the stupid fucking Democrats are just absolutely nihilistic and self-destructive and trying to just destroy the American dream and destroy the constitutional rights that we have. And like, it just, it pisses me off. So into just like a daze, man. Like I, I just feel like my head's spinning sometimes because, you know, it's like in my lifetime, you know, I've gone from from being inspired and feeling like the, the, the world is awesome to realizing people like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi have been fucking us over for like 30 years the okay. whole time I'm growing up and I'm, I'm trying to believe that, oh, there's an American dream and, you know, I can... I can earn a living and have a job and raise a family and, and afford vacation time and afford, you know, recreational vehicles and get a boat and have fun, you know, on the weekends. But it's like, you know, you look at, you look at, you know, you go back further, you look at 1913, you look at the federal reserve act, you look at what they fucking did to the value of our money and you calculate it, dude, you'll, you'll see that the value of our dollar is 97% less than it was 113 years ago. Or see, what is it? 1913, 2019, you know, over 100 years ago. But for the last 100 years, they've just been, you know, just the Federal Reserve itself. It's like once you realize it's not even federal, it's a privately owned bank and it's privately managed by some crazy fucking deep state, whoever the fuck they are. You know, they're just fucking us in the ass, man. So, like, for lack of a better term, for over 100 years, man. So, that type of shit just pisses me off and, uh, you know, just gets me going, man. Like, especially when you look at how various presidents have you know, done executive orders to do certain things to give the wealth of our country to other countries, basically, and destroy our sovereignty and 
have open borders and allow illegal immigration when you have other people who are trying to do the whole process legally and they're struggling to go through the legal system and do it the right way. And, you know, it's just... Oh, no, man. It gets me going. Well, there's so much much in that as well. I feel like we just keep playing tetherball back and forth. Like, you go on a tangent, I go on a tangent, you go on a tangent, I go on a tangent. But um, I think there's, I think pretty much what we're we're pretty much agreeing on is that, you know, even though we have to go through these uh, times of war and these times of, uh, you know, chaos and uncertainty and you know, people, you know, a, a lot of this, a lot of this technology and even the games that we're talking about and, you know, the comforts that we enjoy from, you know, electricity and this grid that we've installed into this planet, um, you know, a lot of it is fueled by that war syndrome and by that, that, that greed and that, that lust for money, you know, and it's like money was the big thing, you know, a hundred years ago, 200 years ago. But it's like money is almost is almost just an idea. It's just something that we agree on now. And the new the new money is information. And it's like we're we're signing over so much of our information, you know, to to Google or whoever it is or whatever system that we stream to Verizon or you know Sprint, uh, PCS, AT and T, whoever the fuck you want to call it, you know. Uh, I'm talking to you on a telephone, like someone else is probably listening to this shit, you know, and it's like, it could definitely make your fucking head spin. It can definitely, you know, make you guess like, you know, what's going on in the world today. But like, like you said earlier, and like I touched on, you know, you got to take the good with the bad, you know, with, with great power comes great responsibility. So with, uh, you know, with this great technology comes great you know, fear and, and expectations of, you know, Hey, what about this? And what about that? And, you know, just like, like what you were saying is, you know, they don't teach you a lot of things in school. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, a night, uh, necessarily one big plan. Like some, someone's, you know, um, nefarious, uh, machination to keep everybody stupid, but, I'm looking at my own thought patterns is like, well, I, I feel like I was dumbed down by the the institution that I was in, the public schools that I was in. They really didn't teach you anything. And it's like, uh, you know, to save money, to, to succeed, to, to, like you said, own the boat, to own your home, to be able to uh, navigate in this, uh, in this social and uh, economical world. You have to have these skills and it's like they're not even teaching you these things. Now, I don't think it was also someone's plan to to keep us dumbed down, like I said, but if it is, it's certainly working. You know, and, and I, it's it's good for me to know that A, that I can kind of pick up these new concepts and I can start to learn these things and I can I can relate with people due to, you know, whatever soft skills I picked up during my uh my education and my formative years you know and all those different schools that i went to one thing that i did learn was how to communicate how to speak with people and how to you know relate and and kind of you know uh listen as well as you know be able to uh retort um 
intelligent conversation, you know, and I, I the big part of that yeah. is, is, is listening, you know, and yeah. I don't know if there sure. is, I don't know if there is a good way to, um, you know, frame this political, uh, frequency that's going on this this dichotomy that we've got going on in this in this country and it's like you know it does make you want to fucking pull your hair out and just scream that you know people have literally been robbing us and manipulating this system and and robbing us of our freedoms you know little by little and and literally putting chokeholds on things that are good for us you know uh i mean the legalization of 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 marijuana is great and you know there's there's a lot of good things happening and and I really do believe that we live in a time that is better off than ever before. But like you said, I mean, we're still polluting into the oceans. We're still, you know, building things that, uh, you know, are are not good for um, the environment, and we know it. Uh, and we continue, and we continue to 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 do these things, and we continue to to you know neglect the abuse that we are putting on this this wonderful planet of ours now i was raised in a you know conservative right-winged dogma household and it's weird how that that still kind of bleeds through a little bit even though i know that you know i'm not for deforestation and i'm not for you know um you know a lot of these pollutants that get thrown up there but i i do believe in in capitalism i do believe in in a free market um, I don't know how that works out. Like I said, I'm, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm not going to be the one to, you know, I'm not going to die on that hill, you know, arguing over it. But I do believe that because of that capitalist society and because of that, that greed and that hunger that we have gotten to the point of, you know, if I wanted to right now, I could hit a button on my phone and FaceTime you and look at your face. Like we're, we're living in the Jetsons era where, technology is so fucking great like i remember watching movies like back to the future where you know you can have a telephone conversation on your tv or whatever and that was so unheard of and so futuristic but it's like dude we're here it's here now um yeah. and we're already in that age and it's like i think the 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 great thing that halo has taught me is that you know the halo ring in itself and and this is a spoiler alert if you're ever gonna really you know get balls deep into halo but the the ring is a weapon right so the ring can also you know it's gonna cleanse the universe of all sentient life but the ring itself because it can destroy it also is a sanctuary and it's a bank for all living life for that particular part of the area. That's why there's seven different rings all throughout the known universe. And when, when it activates, all seven of them go off and it, it cleanses the universe. But the forerunners, which would be, you know, God um, or love or, you know, black, dark matter, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, when they plan this out, it, was, it wasn't to be destructive. I mean, that was the end result, but it was also... <clears throat> to have this fresh start you know those rings they carry seeds of all the different types of life form that repopulate the universe that's the whole the whole idea of the librarian and the life worker and you know her husband being you know the opposite side of the coin so you got the yin and the yang so you've got you know the halo ring which is the ultimate tool of destruction the ultimate weapon but it's also the giver of life and the bringer of life so it's like you know 
with the good comes the bad. You know, with with fucking great power comes great responsibility. You know, we, we always, you know, go back to freaking that old Spider-Man quote, but it, it's so true. And and like you said, in, in mathematics, there's these there's these truths and this this magic that exists in these numbers, like the the three six nine, you know, like you said, the the golden rule, the the Fibonacci sequence, you know, there's there's these things that if we can really understand it, there is a a simple beauty to how intelligent and 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 how connected we all are. If we could just pay attention and, and kind of focus on it and, and and if we could all tune into the frequency, I think, you know, not to sound like a hippie, but that would be like, you know, what what is that? Uh uh Maybe spirituality or what? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say actualization, but I'm looking for a word like where you know where we're all enlightened, enlightenment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if we can all, if we can all, we're getting to a point where we're sharing information and sharing ideas so fast, and we're able to you know um, converse about you know the universe and talk about our love for this game, and you know you're fucking twenty five hundred miles away, you know on the same piece of earth that i am but you're still you know what i mean like we're still able to have this discussion and and able to have this discourse you know even though we agree on most things but we're able to share these ideas and and put this out for someone who may not have considered some of these things before someone that may not have understood necessarily like i had one of one of my good friends a beautiful beautiful sexy little mexican chick um she's actually been on here before um ask me about the big bang and like hey can you do one on the big bang and it's like you know when you listen to mine about the big bang you're like hey i got some comments i i was so excited to be able to to invite you on here to talk about it because i've had you know the pleasure of of having xbox party conversations with you about you know all sorts of all sorts of different mind-blowing things and it's like you know i i just love getting this information out i love being able to to put it out here for everybody um yeah. you know what else what else did we want to touch on i know you had a bunch of notes is there anything else you wanted to throw on because we've we've been doing this for an hour and 22 minutes i think i'm gonna wrap it up pretty soon but what else did you want to touch on before we wrap this up well to me man it feels a, little, a lot like scratching the surface so i mean we're just getting started but yeah you know, we could certainly certainly try and put a bottle cap on it i i usually try and realize that i i want to cover you know anytime i'm sharing information with people i try and cover you know a summary where it's like a beginning a middle and an end at least even while realizing it's there's nothing concluded man i always feel like i'm scratching the surface no matter what i'm learning or how much i you know i realize or like you know i reach new enlightenment and new discernment sometimes and it blows my mind and you know i it's like i i never it's like a perpetual uh beginning again at the beginning kind of a thing like i don't i hate to use the whole scratch the surface analogy but it just seems it's like so common a lot of people kind of get it but um i'm glad you you kind of pulled me out of a certain mindset i was in earlier sometimes dude i get stuck in the whole double-edged sword thing you know like with with everything i guess you could say just with technology like you're you know you're touching on the good and the bad side like i love that now the you know the story with halo where you know they cleanse the universe of 
the evil, let's say, and then they, they reseed it. And then, you know, we begin again at the beginning with a new clean slate. So, you know, you did bring me out of the doom and gloom, man, just on a daily basis. Like I've, at my age, at this point in my life, I've, I've gone to the point where I've looking more at, you know, what are assets and what is a liability? You know, how do I take the money that I've, my blood, sweat and tears that I've, that I've earned through, through life and how do I, you know, get that money to work for me? And uh, unfortunately through trying to do that, you kind of have to pay attention to the global economy and Mm -hmm. freaking politics and Mm -hmm. all the doom and gloom of all the bullshit that the government's been doing. And uh, it's easy for me to get into that side of that sword and, and, and get stuck. But you did bring me out of it and you helped me realize, you know, I've always tried to use that in recent years to, to remember that the same thing that I kind of hate that's going on is also, you know, it's a paradox. It's the other side of the opposite thing, which is basically like what you're saying about, you know, the good about reseeding the universe, you know, after you destroy evil and you, you restart, you know, with good and you start over. And, um, so I usually try to remember that and try and think outside of the box, which is another analogy. I don't, I generally don't really like believing there is a box in the fucking first place, but you know, uh, with technology, it's, it's strange. I believe a lot of people, uh, they reach a point where they, they kind of find a concern about the, uh, I believe you, you said it earlier, which is good. Cause I just now remembered, you mentioned the mark of the beast, right? Yeah. So, so like, this is a kind of a good way for me to sort of explain what I, what I mean, which is like the mark of the beast in my opinion, it's it's kind of like what I would say is the, you know, it's the double-edged sword. It's the bad side of the same thing and the paradoxical or the alternative good perspective that I that I would that I choose to believe is there is another permutation that's not actually like the mark of the beast per se, but it's kind of, you know, it's like the good side of it, which is. You know, a lot of people believe the mark of the beast. I mean, I guess there's a lot of theories, but I think a lot of it has to do with like, you know, technology evolving, let's say, uh, to the point where you have like a computer chip in your body, right? Or, or what would you say like a good example would be? Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're already testing things where like in uh, Sweden or whatever, they have these little chips like in your, uh, in your wrist or in your thumb. And you, it's, yeah. it's pretty much like scan and pay. It's pretty much like having your, your bank account tied to your thing. And you can actually, you can like turn on lights, you can unlock doors at your home. Um, so that's like the first step. But I, I think between, you know, it could be anything, you know, and uh, just for anyone who's, who's, who might be listening that might not have an understanding of the mark of the beast is in, in Revelations, it's basically a uh, prophecy that technology will get to a point where you will have to bury something underneath your skin. There will be some sort of a mark that you'll have to take. And it'll basically say that, you know, you choose technology over God. Like you, you're, you're choosing to give up the old faith that you had and you're going to take this in order to, 
in order to it might even be in order to eat or in order to pay your bills or in order to whatever it to to get wi-fi you know what i mean that you might have to take this mark you know no one really knows what it is but as you're saying it it kind of makes me think of you know everyone kind of has their you know um nostradamus their end of the world like people we've been predicting the end of the world since we've been able to you know record history so um i think it's just a natural thing that we do and that might just be a part, you know, one of the dynamics to that book, to the Bible is just, you know, the mark of the beast. But I didn't mean to interrupt you and cut in, but that's what I was thinking here. It just seems like that's, that's something that, you know, is kind of a, 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 a key player in, in every story, like the end or the, the doom and gloom, like you say, that, you know, the mark of the yeah. beast kind of marks the, the beginning of the end of, of, you know, life as we know it. Yeah, so this is like where... This is where I always come back to, you know, anytime I go on a tangent, I always, you know, I have like these autopilots, I guess you can call them. I learned that from a, reading a book called uh, The Chimp Paradox. It talks about our brains. It talks about how our, the architecture in our brains, like we have, we literally have split personalities and I mean, different aspects of ourselves where how we respond to our environment. Um, and so with the chimp paradox, you know, we have like an animal side that responds kind of emotionally. And we have a a human side that is more, more of a calculator and calculates and quantifies things. And and we can have autopilots and I have these autopilots that I've recognized where it's like, I try, I remember to come back from these tangents. And, um, and so some of those, like with the mark of the beast, you know, I can, I can get lost going down the, the thoughts about, okay, sure. I mean, technology can evolve to the point where we have a problem and maybe we have chips in our bodies and maybe people can hack them and then, you know, they can control us or, you know, hurt us in some way. Or, I mean, we're dealing with that shit now. Like look at viruses, you know, people getting hacked and getting personal information taken. And oh, yeah. like, we're literally in a cyber war. It's like no one really talks about it. Yeah. But so like the mark of the beast, you know, I try and remember like, okay, you know, at the same time, like, sure, having a computer chip in your body and some for some, you know, permutation, it can give governments the ability to continue, you know, stomping on our our backs and making us, you know, run through a socialistic society and and ruining the value of our money and you know and and controlling how we pay for our goods maybe through our dna and you know violating our personal you know our god-given rights basically as a you know as a as a free entity on the earth you know but i also like to kind of realize that it's, it's somewhat inevitable, but there's also a good permutation that's most likely possible and most likely going to happen. Um, and it, it kind of gets hard to explain from there. But what's interesting about that is there's a guy that I learned about. Uh, his name is, uh, um, well, Aubrey de Grey. He talks about uh, living forever um, having a hard time remembering this other guy. He invented basically the guy that invented Siri. Okay. They're on iPhones and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, his name's like on the tip of my tongue. I'll maybe remember it later, but he talks about a thing that he calls a singularity and he uses it. It's basically, he, he kind of takes it from, uh, you know, astrophysics or whatnot, where they study supernova and like the whole, the whole thing about a supernova and, and even like the big bang, you know, the beginning of the universe, when you have energy, all energy and matter and mass and every single particle and every single thing compressed down to the beginning and the, you know, at the infinitesimally small point at the very moment before space existed and before everything expanded, that's that's considered to be what they call a singularity. It's like an infinitesimally small point in space where, you know, maybe if there's no space, if, it's, if it is space and so outside of space, I don't know what you have, but I'm just trying to point out how in science you have this nomenclature, you have this word they use singularity to, to describe you know like infinitely small points with you know infinite mass or infinite energy and so this guy he uses that term to describe the moment in time when technology basically evolves so much that it's able to literally emulate biology and so in the future, like you might look at now, like what is 2019? Uh, there's people with smartphones. There's people with computers, you know, computer chips in their bodies. There's people, you know, I've seen people do stupid shit where they like, they cut themselves open and they put like an entire cell phone under their skin or some shit. Yeah. And it's like, Jesus Christ, you're mutilating yourself, but that's cool. I mean, that might evolve into some technology where, it's actually not hurting you, you know, but that shit looked like, I don't know if you've seen some of those images, but I've seen some people, how they, you know, they do certain mutilation to, I mean, they, you know, they serve a purpose. They believe that that's so important that we need to reach that point that they, they become the subjects basically. Yeah. But, so the way I try and look at it is like, you know, technology will evolve to the point, I believe where, you can transcend death and disease. You can heal cancer, cure cancer, cure typhoid, cure the black plague, cure everything, be immune, you know, control bugs and viruses and control cell death so that cancer doesn't even happen. You know, you know, cancer, I'm not sure what you know about cancer. There's different types of it, but basically cancer, it's your, it's your own cells not dividing and not dying properly and you know your cells they have to create sister cells they have to die off they have to allow the descendants to live on and you know so you have so going through life like you get older your telomeres at the end of your chromosomes they deteriorate over time and and your body you basically decay because of free radicals and different debris floating around and all kinds of different complexities that could going on a tangent there but so that and that's a subject that Aubrey de Grey he's a guy from like Europe he ended up Joe Rogan ended up having him on his podcast and this is like a couple of years ago and and like I already knew about the dude probably a couple of years before that and when I saw like what what Joe Rogan's doing you know it's like damn he's having these dudes on that I kind of already knew about 
talking about crazy shit, and it's just, it helps a lot hearing them talking, hearing them interviewed, you know, and talking about this stuff. But this Sabri de Grey guy, he, he lists out all of the causes of aging. And, you know, he gets into the, the chromosomes and the telomerase, and he gets into the debris that your body, that builds up in your body over time that, you know, kind of slows you down. And, and so I believe that technology will evolve to the point where we can get, we can solve all these problems. We can clean our bodies. We can get this bullshit out of there. We can control the division of ourselves and make sure cancer doesn't become a fucking tumor and, you know, live healthier lives. And, you know, our lifespans might extend, but some people might live forever. Who knows? Or maybe you're immortal, but you get hit by a fucking asteroid and you die anyway. It's mm. like, oh, damn, you know, you, you vaporize. So now you're dead. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so technology, I believe, inevitably will reach a point where, where yeah, I mean, cameras and computers are going to be everywhere. They're going to be in our paper there in our eyes look at your cell phone your cell phone's got a camera on both sides of it yeah you know you got we got cameras everywhere now so through reading books and learning about scientific perspectives uh michio keku he's a he's like japanese or something but he's said to be like the modern einstein i read a lot of books on that guy he he talks about the scale of measurement of uh like evolutionary status of societies talks about a type zero type one type two type three civilization he talks about you know the various levels of inflection points various you know levels of technology of abilities that these civilizations obtain when they reach when they arrive at certain levels and so type zero is where we're at now I was going to ask, basically. Where, I was gonna ask where you think we're at. And so, yes, and we're, then, we're basically, we're witnessing in our lifetime, I believe the transition from zero the to transition. one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that transition basically is dangerous because we're either going to blow ourselves up or, and so, you know, we have knowledge about nuclear bombs we have other countries like North Korea and fucking Israel and different places making bombs. And it's like, you got Russia, you got Hillary Clinton selling fucking nuclear materials to Russia. You know, everybody's got fucking bombs. So many bombs, we could just blow the planet up. No problem. And so the question is, are we going to survive that? Or are we just, you know, are we going to be smart enough not to? See that's that's where I that's where I hope I'm right in the parallel of of Halo being like I hope that we're making these bombs in the way that Halsey was making the Spartans like she was <laughs> she was making it to fight off this threat right so we're making these bombs for this theoretical you know threat that we call ourselves you know, or, you know, this insurrection by the uh, virus that is spreading, you know what I mean, which is which is the separation of ideas, the, the dichotomy between, um, you know, humans and, and people's beliefs and, you know, religion and, and political sway and, you know, the, the way we look um, fucking pisses us off about each other. 
But if we have all these bombs and then this existential threat comes and we're ready by, you know, um, by, you know, default or just by technicality, you know, um, and that helps us out. Hopefully, I mean, that's, that's best case scenario. Um, so I think, I think you're absolutely right when you say that, you know, we're just scratching the surface. I I believe we're going to have to do this again. Um, I got fucking work tomorrow and it's almost two o'clock in the morning. So, um, I'm going to play a couple games of Halo and go the fuck to sleep. But, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and I definitely want to do this again sometime soon. And I'm going to, I'm going to label this podcast just scratching the surface. I think that's, I think that's perfect for it. Um, and I think that's how we're going to do it, man. Uh, uh, I'm going to go ahead and sign okay. off fucking, uh, like I said, I appreciate you being on here, brother. And, uh, yeah, we're, thanks, we're definitely going to do this shit again, man. I appreciate you sharing your brain. Hell yeah. All right. Yeah. Hell yeah. Peace.